If you could, please, could you go ahead and have a seat? Okay, here's what I'd like you to do to start our evening, if you don't mind. Basically, over the last couple of weeks, including the introduction back in April, if you were there, what, what has stuck with you from the ideas that we've been discussing about design? So please, go ahead and do that at your tables. Okay, thank you. If I could ask you to go ahead and shut down your table discussion for me, please. And uh, join with me in praying to start the evening. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that, um, that first of all, you created with purpose uh, everything that we see everything that we enjoy, including the very people around the table that we're sitting, people in this room. Um, we collectively are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And we'd ask your Holy Spirit to guide each of us to a greater and greater fulfillment of uh, the purpose for which we were made. As uh, the early church father, Irenaeus, said, Father, your glory is, is a man or mankind fully alive. That, that's what you sent. Your son, Jesus, you did. Jesus, you came to restore our humanity. Um, and so would you, even in this time tonight, speak to us? Would you open our hearts even now to the words that you do speak? And would you uh, stir us to love and good deeds as a result of being here tonight now? I ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hello again. My name is Bob Schindler, and I want to thank you all for coming. I apologize if my uh, voice sounds a little froggy. I actually uh, think I won the award for who came the farthest to be to this meeting. I flew 30 hours actually to be here this evening. Uh, I, I came, my wife and I just returned this afternoon from uh, 11 days in Thailand, uh, doing a, a gathering with a group of sports ministry people from around the world, really incredible time. But I came back specifically to be here. Uh, no, 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 don't, don't, no, no. Um, thank you though. but. Um, you see, my unique purpose is to help people find and fulfill their unique purpose so that redemption would be brought to others and to the spheres of this world. Um, so you're going to hear a little bit more at the end of the evening from both Christine and I about how God has affirmed our unique purpose. But it's a, it's a uh, when I look in this room, when I pray what I just prayed, my heart is just stirred. I don't know if you've heard of the name Irenaeus. He was one of the early church fathers that wrote, um, what's the word, very broadly, ex uh, almost inexhaustibly on doctrine in the early couple of, first couple of centuries. And he has a very well-known quote. It says, the glory of God is man fully alive. That's not a man, mankind. So men and women fully alive. And uh, I don't think we're ever more fully alive than when we're walking and living out the unique purpose for which God made us. So uh, it's God's glory that we're after tonight uh, over these weeks. So 
and Christine, thanks again for uh, covering for me completely last week. I'm sure she did a fantastic job. Um, if we can go to that Pascal quote. So we began um, our time with this quote in mind, that all men seek happiness, that's without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action, of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Now, I remember the first time I read that quote, it really was provocative. Um, he, he is giving what his assessment is, is the bottom, motiva- bottom line motivation for everything. Now, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I think that's a biblical perspective. And if you don't agree with that, I'd be lo- I would love at the break to talk to you about what, where I think that's biblical. But we began with that. And then the question becomes, next uh, slide, is where do I go to find the solid direction for the journey to the, our fulfilled life? Where do I go? If all men are seeking happiness, where do I go to make sure that the journey I'm traveling is actually going to take me there? And we talked about the world offers us two perspectives, either the look around or the look in, and we tried to demonstrate the ineffectiveness of that, and we encouraged you instead to look up. And over the last several weeks, we've been trying to help you in, in, in thinking that way. Uh, to look up to a God who, as, as I prayed, has purpose behind everything that he does, including creating you. And that, that the fulfillment of that is what we're after over these several weeks. So we contended in design that our bottom line big idea is that You fulfill your design when you recognize and reject the world's drifting call and you embrace God's solid call to that fulfilled life. The path to fulfillment, a simple way of saying it today, involves rejecting a drifting call while embracing a solid one. So then we said within the idea that we were going to help you think through your shape And we talked about each of the five letters. Who can tell me what the S stands for? Spiritual gifts. Who can tell me what the H is? A, P, E, experiences. So far, we've looked at which two? Spiritual gifts, personality. Tonight, we're going to talk about heart or passion. Next week, we'll talk about experiences and abilities. Okay. Now, if by the way, if you filled out your spiritual gift inventory and you've got that with you tonight, we'd love for you to either leave it on your table or, or, or give, hand it to Tammy or Brandy or, or Christine or myself. We would love to just have a, uh, a record of that. We'll return those to you. We, we would just like to have that as a uh, perspective. Yes, if your name isn't on it, please put your name on it. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Ellen. And if you did not get one of those before now, they're available in the back of the room uh, when we leave. Any questions on that? Okay, now, tonight, we're going to talk about, as I said, passion or heart. 
So here's what I want you to do. Again, in your, in your tables, I want you on your table, in your tables, in, which one is that? In, in, at your ta- Thank you, Andrew. At your tables, not in your tables. Get in your table, would you? No, that, that. at your tables, I want four synonyms for the word passion. And give me a representative and then come up and tell me what those four are. Two to four synonyms for the word passion at your tables. Okay, could I have your attention back? Okay, so I want to talk for a moment about why passion's important. Why, why even talk about passion? Um, passion is absolutely critical. Absolutely critical when it comes to the idea of fulfilling your unique purpose. You might like to think of it this way on the next slide. Your gifts are the what of your unique purpose. Your personality is the how. Your experiences are the why. Your passion is the where. It's where you're going to throw all of yourself into the future. What directs that is your passion. Now, up front, I want, I want to tell you I have a goal tonight. And my goal tonight is to convince you that passion is not something for just a certain group of people like me. Nobody has ever told me after I've spoken, you know, Bob, you just kind of need to dial it up a little bit. You're just a little too flat-lined up there. Most of the time, people come up to me and say, Bob, I just appreciate your passion. And when, when they say that to me, I, I want to I say thank you, but I want to say to them, don't think it's just for me. I want you to walk away convinced that whether it looks like me or not, that's not the issue. What I want you to be convinced is that God wants you, as well as everybody at your table, to live out of passion. Okay? Now, let's look at some of your um, your synonyms. I want to read these, and I want you to listen to what you think are themes. Yes. Sure, Amanda. Because it directs where you're going to, to use your gifts, where you're going to use your personality, where your experiences get thrust into the future. Is that clear? Okay. Thank you for asking the question. If there's ever a question, please do not hesitate to ask it. Uh, I'm not offended at all, neither is Christine, I know. Okay, so I want you to listen. These are your synonyms. Drive energy, motivation, heart, calling, emotion, desire, excitement, purpose, love, vision, drive, desire, 
energetic, motivated, and enthralled. Interesting. So what did you hear as some, oh, and then here's one more. Oh, I knew there was one more. Let's see. Conviction, determination, motivation, excitement, enthusiasm, heart, zeal, desire. Now, the first thing that I want you to notice is the breadth of different synonyms that were there. That's as I've done this in other uh, situations or thought through it myself. Passion is a word. At times, we have a hard time getting our hands and minds really around. It can mean something as simple as a desire. That person's passionately in love with somebody. Deep, maybe a deeper desire or a zeal. But it usually has to also have this idea of directing action. It's different than just a want or desire, isn't it? In our minds, anyway. Passion moves us in a way that wants and desires don't. You can, I, I like to think in terms of continuums. So you have like continuums of emotion like frustration to anger to rage. They're all in the same continuum. I think like want, desire, zeal, passion. I would call passion the most intense. Usually it has this idea of intensity or uh, a heated emotion to it. Now, if you looked it up in the, in the, the, the thesaurus, you would see all kinds of there are 40 to 50 synonyms for passion. Um, again, that would range from just general emotion to vehemence. Well, so which one is it? Well, if you look at the Bible and what it says about passion, you would find, again, a variety of different words that the scriptures actually translate into the word passion. It can mean, again, something as simple as a want. And sometimes you'll see it translated want. You can see it as a, uh, uh, a desire. It can be a zeal. It can actually be a lust. Or it can be passion. And all of those have around them the similar concepts, but they have maybe different degrees of intensity. And, and I'm going to show you tonight even... The most common word used for passion doesn't even look like passion in the New Testament. But it is passion because it, the, the reason it doesn't look like passion is because it translates the idea into actual action. So it, passion in the scriptures is tied very closely to actually doing something. It moves you. That's what passion does in a way that it's not fair to say for just like emotion necessarily does. So I'm going to give you a definition. 
broad definition that you can, I've encouraged you to write down. I've spent a fair amount of time trying to come up with this, this definition. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it this way. Passion is the emotional response to an attainable object of desire or pleasure that moves the person to pursue the object. Passion is the emotional response to an attainable object of desire or pleasure that moves the person to pursue that object. Now, I want, you, I want to highlight some key words, and I'll read it one more time, or I'll say it one more time. Passion is the emotional response. So, first of all, it's emotion. It is emotional in its core. It is a response. You don't have it without something stirring it up like all emotions. Emotions just aren't there. They're there because something has stirred that up. It's the emotional response to an attainable object of pleasure. Now, notice the word attainable. I only have passion for things I can actually have. That attainable object of pleasure that moves the person to pursue the object. Now, think about this for a moment. If that's true, and somebody says, I just don't really enjoy reading the Bible anymore. They have no passion. Either they no longer see the Bible as something pleasurable, or they think it's not attainable. The pleasure that's there is not attainable. If they say, I don't really want to go to church and hang around Christians, then they just told me that either they don't really think that what's there is really pleasurable, or that if it's there, it's not available to them. Because if they believed that it was pleasurable and attainable, they will have passion. God has made us that way. When we see an object of pleasure that is attainable, we pursue it in, with passion. That's what our hearts were made to do. So again, if you see a person without desire for something that you think they would have desire for, it's because they either don't think it's pleasurable or attainable. Okay, now with that in mind, I'm going to use one verse tonight to um, summarize what I think the entire scriptures teach about passion as it relates to believers, and we're going to go to Romans 12 to do that. And we're going to look at this verse, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Now, it's a very short verse, and we're, gonna, we're going to observe that together. But before we do that, I want to remind you of the context. 
The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, what the book of Romans is considered the greatest treatise on the gospel that's ever been written. The first 11 chapters have five commands. That's it. And each one of those five commands is basically believe the gospel. It does not do anything other than believe the gospel. So I like to say that to people. I like to remind them, if anybody ever tells you or if you think that Christianity is a bunch of do's and don'ts, I I will tell you right up front, you don't understand Christianity. Christianity is about believing the truth, first and foremost. But in chapter 12, Paul turns the corner and he gets his first imperative which we've talked about. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, this is the version I memorized, by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the first one, first imperative. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, he spent 11 chapters explaining how we could offer ourselves to God as something that is holy and pleasing to him. Only through the gospel, only through Jesus is that possible. But we offer ourselves because we were made not for ourselves. We were made for him. We look up. That's a general idea that he's, he's saying, first of all, when I get practical, I want you to know you were made for someone else. You aren't made for yourself, Bob. You were made for God. Offer yourself that way. Don't be conformed to the world, the look around and look in. Don't think you're for yourself. Don't think you're only here to please yourself. Don't be conformed to the world's thinking, but be transformed, be metamorphosized, be in a progressive way taken from a caterpillar to a butterfly, be reinstated as a human being become renewed in your humanity by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then, right then, he immediately says now, in verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought. Design is not about giving you self-esteem. That's not what design, design is not to lift up your view of yourself to make you better than other people. It's to, it's to enable you to have a renewed mind to remind you, you're not here for yourself, neither am I. We're members of a body. We're here for others and others are here for us. But the reason that's so important is we live in a world, we breathe the air every day that says, we're just about ourselves. Right away, then he says, for as in one body we have many members and the members don't have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. So he gets practical. He says, offer yourself don't, as, to, to God, then don't think of yourself as an individual. Christianity is never individualistic. It's always communal. Anytime you think it's just you and God, you are wrong, and I'm wrong. It is always communal. We are members one of another. It's what distinguishes Christianity from all the other world religions. We're one body. And then he says, now, with regard to that gifts, 
When we start talking about the body, immediately Paul says, I'm going to gifts. That's the next verse, which we pointed you to in the past. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let's use them. And then he lists out the seven that we talked about. Gifts are critical. They're the enablement. They're, they're the, the, the ability to function in the body, as we've already talked about. And when he finishes that, then he gives just a couple of very quick points. Like one right after another. You could spend all your life on each one of these individual thoughts. Let love be genuine. That's a simple thing to do, isn't it? You're supposed to laugh at that. No, that, we could spend the whole, our whole life trying to make our, our love really genuine. Not hypocritical, not mixed motives. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly, brotherly affection. Look at this one. Outdo one another in showing honor. If design did anything for this body, it, it should move us to outdo each other in our honoring of each other. I need you. I need every single one of you in my life. And you need every single one of these people. New City needs you and you need them. And we need to honor each other in that. And then he says this, Don't, do not be slothful in zeal. Now, I don't know about you all, but the word slothful is really a strange word, right? It's not a word we use very often. But he says, don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Now, I want you to look at those three phrases. Do not be slothful in spirit and in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. And observe, what does that teach you about passion? And I want you to say whatever you think it's saying there. What does it say then about passion? Okay. Could be, Heather, there's a focus to this passion, isn't there? Where is it going to? It's going to serving the Lord. We'll talk about that a little bit more. What else do you see? It's a volitional choice. Andrew, where do you see that? I don't disagree with you. Where do you see that? Okay, you're choosing that. And, and okay, keep going. Keep thinking. What else do you see there? Okay. Who's supposed to be fervent in spirit? How do you know that? Said all believers, how do you know that? Who's Paul writing to? All believers. And he says to every one of us, don't be slothful in zeal. Every one of us is supposed to be what? Fervent in spirit. This is not optional. This is something every believer is supposed to have, fervency. But the, what's the possibility, according to the first phrase? If it says, do not be slothful in zeal, what's the possibility? To be slothful in zeal. And in fact, the tendency is probably to be slothful in zeal. 
explain more to me about that, Heather. Having integrity, yes. What do you mean? This is certainly what we're to be shooting for. But can anybody ever achieve this, this side of heaven? No. In fact, we know it can't be because love's got to be, we, he's got to call us to be genuine in our love. That integrity means I'm the same all the way through. That's what the biblical term for integrity. It's not being one thing on the outside the same. It's being, it's being consistent. And so it means I'm just honest. I fail, and I'm not, I'm not trying to hide my failure. And every single one of us is challenged by this verse. Don't be slothful in zeal, because our tendency is to be slothful in zeal. Now, so the first thing is, passion is something every believer is supposed to have. Second thing I learned from this is that it can be dampened. Do not be slothful, which means to hold it back. That's what the word means in the Greek, to hold it back. In zeal, this is the word spode, which is often used for being diligent in something or making every effort in the verb form. Here it's the noun, zeal, or it can be uh, effort, okay? But be fervent in spirit. So it can be misdirected. It can be dampened and it can be misdirected. There's a lot of people out there that um, think emotion is not a part of the Christian life. And the reason they think emotion is not a part of the Christian life is because it's run amok so many times. I don't think emotion runs the Christian life, but emotion is very much a part of the Christian life. And so my fervency is supposed to be going towards the spirit. So if you... um, just to give you an idea of why this, how this kind of comes out biblically, now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see the contrast? There, the idea is that the flesh has passion and desire, and that's a directed toward myself. My passion is directed now toward God. My fervency is in spirit. Now, notice it doesn't say in the spirit. It's not speaking of the Holy Spirit here. It's talking about the the spirit of me as in me. It's like when it says worship in spirit, there's a part of me that connects with the Holy Spirit, and that's how deep my fervency or zeal or passion is to go. And it's to direct me into serving the Lord. This is what is the driving um, force of all serving biblically passion 
now. Any questions or comments before we leave this verse? Yes, Jane. Passion is supposed to be um, expressed in what you just said. We live in a society that's, that if, if I said, but I don't feel like serving, what am I supposed to do? We live in a society that would say, fake it to you. That is from the pit of hell. Can I be more bold or blunt? That is unbiblical. If you don't want to do something, you don't do it and act like you want to. That's called hypocrisy. When you are going through the motions, that is exactly what he meant when he's saying, don't be slothful in zeal. That is a person that is going through the motions. Being passionate is exactly the opposite of that. So what do you do if you don't have passion? You confess. God, I have no passion today for you. I have lost my picture of you as the most beautiful, most desirable being in all the universe. I'm so sorry. Would you please restore in me that picture? I have lost the beauty of your word. It is a rock. It is a hammer. It is living and active. And I think it's dead. I'm so sorry. I don't want to spend time there. Would you restore my passion for your word? It goes back to that definition. If I don't want to do something, it's because I've either lost sight of it as an object of pleasure or I don't think I can handle I can attain it. So I go broken. I go humble when I have no passion. This is not something we drum up. But there's implied there that if it's a command, we can move with that confession and trust the Spirit of God, to do what? If it's a response, what? To change us, exactly, Heather. And then when he does, what do we say? Boy, you know, man, I really worked hard. I faked until I made it. No, we come rejoicing at what God has done in our hearts, in our cold, unemotional impassionate hearts. Now, with that in mind, let's take a, let's, Christine, Christine, would you come up and explain that sheet real quick with the questions on it?
So in the handouts that are in front of you, um, the second sheet, I believe, is, has got a series of questions on it. And those questions are just of an emotional response kind of nature to help you start thinking through, what am I passionate about? They aren't going to necessarily reveal to you exactly where your passion for God may lie, but they will give you insight into what are the things that really um, work in my heart. What are the things that when I feel this emotion strongly, here's what I feel it about. And these are the things that then help us to begin to hone down to what really is my passion within the Lord. Did you want to add those other two questions? Oh, later. Okay. So go ahead and take about five or ten minutes. And you don't have to, like, ponder this for a long time. Just read each question and write down what occurs to you about that particular emotion. Okay, we wanted you to just start thinking a little bit about um, what's kind of going on in your heart. But I want to talk about... um, A, a, one of the, well, we've talked in generally about passion. And I told you about some of the words that are translated in, in the New Testament that way. Um, one of the words for passion is actually translated suffering. And the word that we get passion from is the Greek word pathos, empathy. It's called suffering because when you have this at its core level and you can't fulfill it, it makes you ache. Or you ache so much for a situation that it drives you to do anything to alleviate it. That's why the last week of Christ's week of life is called the what week? The Passion Week. His heart was so set on you and I as his attainable object of pleasure that he was willing to do anything to alleviate the lack of humanity in us, including die. Now we're getting, when you get down to that little finer point, now you're starting to see how passion directs you. It's based on needs you might see or people you might be drawn to. Um, one, one gentleman called passion this passion is a God-given capacity to fervently attach ourselves to an object people, a cause an idea, an area of ministry over an extended period of time to meet a need Passion, again, is a God-given capacity to fervently attach ourselves 
to an object, people, cause, an idea, an area of ministry over an extended period of time to meet a need. Um, there's a young man in the, in the early 20s, grew up in Scotland, who was very fast. His name was Eric Liddell. Um, he was a strong Christian, and he was outstanding in the 100-yard dash. And his sister, who was a very committed Christian also, did not understand why he wasted his time running. In the movie Chariots of Fire, he has a conversation that's marked in that movie that went something like this. Sis, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, Eric, if you don't know the rest of the story, after the 24 Olympics, when he, out of conviction, would not run on Sunday and therefore did not win or compete in the 100-yard dash, was given a spot in the 400-meter race and actually won. And if you know anything about track and field, that is unprecedented. Several years after those Olympics, though, he went to China and spent the rest of his life there and died in prison camp in China. And I'm just as convinced that he would have said to anybody with us around him, just like he said about running, when I'm in China, I feel his pleasure. There's something about doing what God made you to do that ties you to the pleasures of God in a way that nothing else can. Consider him who endured from sitters such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And it speaks of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God. You see, God does not find our desires too strong, but too weak, according to C.S. Lewis. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with sex, ambition, and alcohol when infinite joy is offered to us. Like children playing with mud pies in the slums, they cannot imagine what it's like to be offered a vacation by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. When I read that quote, first time changed my life. What kind of person am I? I'm a passionate person. I felt like I had to tamp that down. No, I didn't have to tamp it down. God said, Bob, you just direct it toward me and let it flow. I'm the greatest object of pleasure you'll ever connect with. That's why Paul said in Philippians, 
I consider everything as loss. I consider it all as loss, and I press on in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he has made you and I for a particular purpose. Next week, we'll talk about how experiences shape your passion. They have a key part in God putting this burden in you. Because the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's according to Friedrich Buechner. The place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's why it's so important for you to pay attention to what does drive you. Okay, Christine, could you come up and take a few minutes and explain a little of your journey on passion? So when I think about this question of passion in my life, I have to tell you that I can't answer the question, where does the passion come from, without literally talking about everything that we're covering in this class. Spiritual gifts, experiences, abilities, personality, all of the above, heart and passion. Um, In... Um, 1995, I had been working for 17 years, I mentioned to you all um, a week or so ago, about working at a university in an administrative role and also teaching classes. And um, in 1995, my husband was transferred to Charlotte from where we were living. And so um, it became apparent that that job was going to end. And at that time, we had um, our two sons were just little guys. They were um, six and three. And so we made the decision when we moved that I would stay home with them to get everybody settled and, you know, find all the things we needed to find and get everybody accustomed to school. What we did not know, what I clearly did not know at that moment in time was that the Lord was bringing me to Charlotte for some very specific reasons. We thought it was all about Jeff's job. We joke now to this day that we're not sure he really moved us here because of Jeff's job as much as he moved us here because of something he had in mind for me. And what that was was within um, two years of being here, I became very involved in community Bible study, the Ministry of Community Bible Study, which some of you may be familiar with, not all of you perhaps. It is an international ministry that has Bible study classes in many countries around the world and classes all over the United States. And my first job in community Bible study was as a core leader. I just led a discussion group on a weekly basis. And then by the end of the first year that I was doing that, the leadership in the class had come to me and asked me if I would please accept the responsibility to be the teaching director. 
And I have to honestly tell you, um, the Lord had to do a work because I had just left this job in Ohio. I was taking care of two young sons. And my initial response to that was, I don't want to be in charge of this right now. I don't want to do this. And so that was the answer that I was working on, and the Lord would not let go of me, literally. He would not release my mind, my heart. I had no peace with the choice I was making, but I, it was my answer, and I was going with it. Anyway, after a period of time, it became clear that I could not outrun God. And so I became the teaching director of that class, I then became an area director in community Bible study and then a member of the National Leadership Development Team. I tell you that story to say this. What God was fundamentally doing in me when he brought us here to Charlotte and put me into community Bible study and into relationship with so many godly women and put me into a place where the abilities and the experiences that I had had professionally prior to that, that meant that I did a lot of public speaking to a lot of different kinds of audiences. God was ready to take those abilities and experiences and burn within my heart a passion for teaching women the word of God. And within the first year that I did that, every week for 30 weeks, that passion grew and grew and grew. And it didn't grow so much out of the feeling of that I just loved to present, although I do enjoy teaching. But what God was doing in me was he was showing me the need in women's lives the need for them to know the truth of the word of God. And he showed not only me, but all of those of us who were in leadership in, in the class that met here at that time, the transforming nature of his word. And showed me that I was merely the instrument in delivering it. And I have to tell you today, if you ask me today, Christine, what's your passion? I would give you two answers. I would say that the first one is to teach the Word of God. And I love to teach the Word of God, period. I especially love to teach the Word of God to women. And the second thing is God built from there an opportunity for me to train leaders all across the country who would do that very same thing, who would shepherd and love and teach the women and the men in community Bible study, through community Bible study, through that tool, um, about his transforming grace and the forgiveness that they could have and what it really meant to walk with Jesus every day. And I have to tell you that over, I did that for 20 plus years, and that passion only grew and grew and grew. It was like once he got a hold of me, and showed me the depth of that and the way that he had put me together to be able to do that, certainly with his equipping. Um, and there were many weeks when he reminded me how much I needed him. But um, that passion 
really became something that I, I would have said to you, I, I can't, I am compelled to do this. I can't stop doing this. I can't say, no, it's not important, or I'm going to head out, I'm going to do something else. I would have said to you that God had put it in my life, put it in my heart with such strength and um, I guess the word is zeal, determination, all those synonyms that you used a few minutes ago. It, was, it is so deeply ingrained in me that it is who I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks, Christine. So again, passion is not just for Christine. It's not just for me. It's not just for Eric Liddell. It's for who? Everybody, but more importantly, it's for you and you. You should, when you look in the mirror, the next time you look in the mirror, I want you to, I want you to think, God wants me to be a passionate person. It's not for other people. This was for you to be convinced of that tonight. Now, there are very important people in that. Can I have that slide? Uh, where, yeah, there we go. Perfect. This is on the back of your notes, by the way. Um, there are dampeners and stimulators to passion. Okay? VRPs are very resourceful people. They ignite our passion. VF, VIPs are very important people. They share our passion. VTPs are very trainable people. They catch our passion. And those three are very important for you to monitor and pay attention to. Who ignites your passion, who shares your passion, who catches your passion. The problem is most of us spend most of our time around VNPs and VDPs. VNPs are very nice people. They appreciate our passion. They enjoy it. VDPs are the, those, the very drainable, draining people. They sap our passion. You want to do What? Are you crazy? So part of what is really important for you is to recognize that God uses people in many cases to give or share or learn your passion. And what that will do is just increase it. But if all you do is spend time around VNPs and VDPs, You'll not be that person. You'll be that person that's slothful in zeal. But you won't be that person that's fervent in spirit. So, there are also activities on your sheet. And, I want, and I'm not going to tell you, but here's an exercise you can do. If you look on, can I have this part of this? Underneath those, those people, there are different act ideas, like the first one is serving where your gifts personally, personality perspective don't match the need. 
I want you to rate whether that's a stimulator or a dampener on your own this week. Just read through those, and you'll see there are things that, oh, man, that, that's, yeah, if you're not serving where you're gifted, if you're just doing it to meet a need, and, and you just filled a, filled a spot, that's not going to ignite your passion. That's going to suck away passion, okay? So that's just something for you to think about because, again, passion is something everybody's supposed to have. It's something that can be dampened and it can be misdirected. We've just said that from that verse again. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, let me tell you my story, and then we'll be done. Could you go to the, the, the picture with the three? Uh, sorry, there we go. So I came to Christ and, uh, when I was 22, I th- or became a follower of Christ when I was 22. I think I told you all that. Um, I had never heard the gospel. Within about a year of that time, I was sitting at a meeting in Chicago with about 100 other believers on a Saturday afternoon. And um, we actually listened to an audio tape by Dawson Trotman. Dawson Trotman had founded the Navigators and died in the 50s saving someone from drowning. And he has a very well-known message that he gave over the years called the need of the hour. And in that message, he talks about the need is for people to not only believe that Jesus is God, but that he can fulfill every command ever given and every promise he ever made. And he challenged those that were listening to make disciples out of Matthew 28. And that day, he ignited my passion in a broad way. For the redemptive purposes that he had for the church to make disciples. And so, as a result of that, we said, okay, that's going to be our passion. We're going to make disciples. Over the next couple of years, I became aware of the PGA Tour, and what was going on the PGA Tour spiritually. I'd played golf in college. I'd only played for two years because I was a chemical engineer. I couldn't play and be a chemical engineer. And so I was aware of the PGA Tour, but I had no idea about them spiritually until I had become a Christian. found out this is about 160 men that travel around from city to city like gypsies. And on Sunday, where are they? not in church, they're playing golf. And I found out that there, were not, there was not much going on spiritually out there. There was a couple guys that every once in a while would meet for um, Bible study, but no outreach was going on. Again, if you remember, I was one of those people who never heard the gospel and God had given me a heart to see people come to know him who didn't know him. And then to become followers of him. And so Beth and I began to pray God, is this the need you want us to meet? After a year, we and took, spent a lot of time around P, VRPs and um, people that would resource and, and continue to stir our passion. Yes, we're going to move. We left our career in, in the chemical industry, 